The Celtics show a lot of grit as their big three deliver a 2-1 series edge over the Warriors. Could this pivotal game four tomorrow night not have Steph Curry in the lineup? The Avalanche have already punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals. Who will come out of the East as tonight's Game 5 between the Rangers and Lightning should be thrilling, to say the least. Watch out, my fellow Met fans. The Braves are on the move, and the division could get tighter sooner than you think. First Phil Mickelson, then Dustin Johnson, now Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed. Both of them have jumped ship to the Live Golf League in Saudi Arabia. What does this mean for those that are teetering on making the shift? The New York Times' latest report has 66 women who have been involved in some way, shape, or form with Deshaun Watson over a 17-month period. Even his former employer, the Houston Texans, were involved. What the hell's going on here? Will he play at all this year? And why is the NFL dragging its feet on this? It's a hell of a podcast with so much to unpack over the next hour. It's all coming up. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we zoom on through the middle of this week, as we look forward to a weekend, but thanks for stopping by to get your fix and fill on everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J-Reels Podcast with your host, J-Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Boy, has lots gone on since we were on the airwaves last, which was just three days ago, and there's so much to unpack, so much to dive into, whether it's the Deshaun Watson saga, which gets uglier by the second, why is the NFL taking its sweet time to come up with a conclusion on how long Deshaun Watson, and he's going to be suspended, people. If the NFL tries to turn a blind eye on this, they're off their rocker. I'll get into that, as well as what's happening with the Live Golf League, as two major stars also jump ship, whether your name is Bryson DeChambeau or Patrick Reed. What does that mean for other players on the tour? You know I'll touch on that, as well as what's happening in baseball. And don't look now, Met fans, but the Braves are fast and furious. Not going to say you are breathing down our necks, 
But you got to start looking over your shoulder here. And trust me, I will explain in great detail as to why we need to look out for the Braves here, not only just in the weeks and months to come, but actually days. So there's that to discuss, as well as a Stanley Cup Game 5, which is going to be fascinating, to say the least, between the Rangers and Lightning, as the Lightning have now taken complete control of this Eastern Conference Final, where Colorado has their feet up here, probably for minimum the next six days, and this is already day three since they swept the Oilers out of the postseason. So I'll have that, but we'll start off with what took place last night at TD Garden, game number three between the Celtics and Warriors, and... I tell you, the third quarter had me sweating. The third quarter had me almost convinced that the Celtics were going to lose last night. And they came right out of the gate thanks to Jalen Brown's 17 first quarter points. They built up a sizable lead, led by 15, actually by 18 at one point in the second quarter. But they were pretty much in control. I had a feeling that they were going to come out strong. We know how the Celtics perform after a loss here in this postseason with the home crowd behind them, and obviously with that extra day of rest from Sunday to Wednesday, you just knew that they were going to play with a lot of energy, they were going to be upbeat, and you pretty much saw that from the opening tip after the Warriors took a 2-0 lead, and then the Celtics scored 10 straight points, and pretty much had the first half on a whole, playing Celtic basketball, playing at their pace, Jason Tatum, who did not have a good first quarter, but did have 11 points in that second quarter, or had a much better quarter than... Obviously, then Jalen Brown did as he pretty much set the tempo for the Celtics in that first quarter and in the first half overall to where now we look at this third quarter. And as we've seen, not only just in this series, we saw this in the Buck series, obviously in the Miami series. And the one thing that had you scared was one of those Steph Curry runs or even Clay Thompson for that matter, who Thompson did not score in the first quarter and had 25 points in quarters two and three. Steph Curry... At 82-76, had the crazy stretch to where he made the three-point play, had the foul by Al Horford, and it was determined that it was a flagrant one because in the path of Curry's shot was Horford as Curry planted and landed and turned his ankle slightly on Horford. So where he got the four-point play, they got possession of the ball, and next thing you know, an 82-76 lead, thanks to a prayer by Otto Porter, who surprisingly has had made big shots in this series to date. Now, he hasn't been dominant by any stretch, or he hasn't been a guy that you have to really look out for on the floor, but he's made some sneaky shots here, which makes you think that, wait a minute, why isn't anybody guarding him? But he makes that acrobatic three to make it 83-82, and it made you wonder at that point whether or not the Warriors were really going to then go into another level or switch another gear to where they had the crowd down, to where they had complete momentum of the game. And at that point, the Celtics went on an 11-6 run. They made it 93-89. And then we could all take a big sigh of relief that the third quarter was over because although it wasn't as ugly as what we saw in games one and two, but now... The Warriors, who were down by 12 at the half, and as I mentioned, had that 18-point deficit, which was shriveled to four. And then we look at the fourth quarter to see who was going to step up. And obviously for the Celtics, Jalen Brown, who was very streaky in this game, he did end up with 27, but obviously he made his impact. Same for Jason Tatum, who had a lot of misses around the rim with layups and things of that nature. 
had some a lot of shots in the elbow where it was short, but he did make some big baskets at key moments. And you also had Marcus Smart, who made a couple of threes there in the corner, made some plays. And even with Tatum, a lot of his playmaking ability came into effect as he had nine assists. And I believe it was the first time since the 84 finals to where you had 20 points, five rebounds, five assists. That would be Kareem, Michael Cooper, and Magic Johnson. And in this case, you had it with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. The Celtics were able to pull away. Draymond Green fouls out, gets the chance at him, and I'll get to him in a minute. And the Celtics were able to prevail and able to get out of Dodge with a 2-1 series lead, a 116-100 victory. The Warriors only scored 11 points in that fourth quarter. Klay Thompson put up a donut in that fourth quarter. Steph Curry did not play well either in that fourth quarter, although he was lethal throughout the course of the game. And as you saw there late, came up lame on that scrum, which looked like a rugby match to where you had Al Horford on the floor, Marcus Smart, Draymond Green, the aforementioned Curry, and it looked like maybe Curry had pulled a groin or maybe a muscle in the lower body area. And then later when Jason Tatum had a layup and was fouled, Curry was just standing there grimacing, bent over, where it could have been either re-aggravated or maybe was made worse. And that's going to be one that for the rest of this series, a lot of people could look at as a series-defining moment. Because if Curry is not going to be 100%, I'm sure we're going to see him at some point. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play tomorrow. I would think that you have to chop his leg off in order for him to not be in the starting lineup. But how this injury is going to impact the Warriors from this point on is going to be very telling. Because if he's going to be playing at 50% or 60%, whatever it is, if you could see that he's not going to be able to run around the gym the way he does and not be able to come off screens or how he's going to get lift on his shot or in his legs to make his shot, if it falls short, if he's not as mobile and not being the Tasmanian devil, especially in a game four on that parquet, this is one thing that I'm sure at this very moment he's probably getting treatment on. We're going to have to wait and see whether or not that this is going to play huge, not big, Huge in determining how this series is going to unfold from Game 4 on. And as it is right now, as a Celtic fan, the old Kobe line, and we've heard it time after time, the job's not finished. And I'm sure everybody in that locker room is feeling the same way. But as we've witnessed throughout this postseason, the Celtics do have a penchant to get the win that they absolutely need. And that we've seen. Game 6 in Milwaukee, obviously the Game 7 at home. The Game 5 in Miami, Game 7 in Miami, even Game 4 against Miami when they were down 2-1. And getting Game 1 here was important, as we see now, because they have a 2-1 series lead. But they haven't been able to get that one game to extend that series to put them in a good position. I understand the first round against Brooklyn. All right, you want to say that series, but of course it was the first round and the Nets were dysfunctional. But now let me see them take their game to the next level to the point where They could just end up having to win one game of the next three after securing a win here on Friday night. Don't play around. I don't care if Curry has a bionic leg and he's even better than what we've seen in these first three games. I don't care. The goal should still be the same. And my thing is, and this is what I worry about, Robert Williams, he's a guy that was, to me, 
he wasn't underrated in this game because if you've watched and seen how he performed, mind you, on a bad leg, he was an X-Factor. And I talked about this before the series. And I'm not big on X-Factors, as I've said. And I know people can say, well, Jay Reels, if you're not big on it, why are you bringing it up? Well, when he was in the lineup and on the floor yesterday, the impact that he has and what he's able to do on the defensive side, especially there, and even offensively, where he's there for the putbacks, where he's there for the alley-oops, and granted, he's not great with his hands. He does have hands of butter at times. But when he's able to make those 50-50 plays, as you saw there yesterday with some big offensive rebounds, and the Celtics had the rebounding advantage 47-31, to which was enormous. And for him making those plays around the basket, he is critical in order for them to win this title here. So it's not just based on what Tatum, Brown, and Smart do, and you want to chip in a little Horford, Obviously, some Grant Williams. I get all that. But whatever Williams is going to contribute, and you saw what he was able to do out there on the floor, again, that's another key reason as to why the Celtics could take this to a possible deciding game on the road in Game 5-4 championship. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But the reason why I bring up Williams and that whole dynamic is because what is his health going to be like 48 hours after... Pretty much one of the biggest games that he's had. Now granted, on the stat sheet, you didn't really see that, but it was mostly the rebounds, the blocks, the intangible things that do not show up on the box score. And knowing that he's had three days rest from games one to two and games two to three, now with a 48-hour turnaround, how's that going to be? Not only just for Williams, pretty much for the whole team, but for a guy like Williams and what he's able to do on the floor, that's something you'll have to pay attention to as we get ready for game four tomorrow night. And you know the Warriors are going to come out firing, whether Steph is 100% or not. Klay Thompson, who had a big game yesterday, albeit in the second and third quarters. The other thing that you don't see is where are the contributions from some of these other players. I mentioned Otto Porter, and he's been sneaky good, as I said. But where's Jordan Poole been? And I get he had that little flurry at the end of game two, where he made that miraculous three, and he had a three-pointer before that in the fourth quarter, and garbage time had some points. But he has been a no-show. Do I even need to bring up Draymond Green? And I understand in the press conference a couple days ago where he mentioned how the 80s players and 90s and the comparison to today's players, and I'm not going to go down that road. And I don't want to pound on him either because he's an easy target right now considering what took place there in Game 2 and trying to, even a little bit yesterday, clapping in Grant Williams' face when Grant Williams got an offensive foul. But the one thing about Draymond is that one day he's going to make the Hall of Fame. And to me, the Hall of Fame is for the great and the immortal player. And we know he's great at defense. And we know that he's that intangible player. Just like Rob Williams is for the Celtics. And I'm not trying to compare Rob Williams to Draymond Green way too early. But you could see if he stays healthy, he could get that defensive status of a guy like that, or Ben Wallace, people of that ilk. But here's the thing. He's not dominant. And last night, two points, four rebounds, three assists, gets fouled out. And the FU Draymond chance, which a little bit too much. As a fan, you kind of, of course, you're going to rally around that, that's your team. But I wish they could clean it up a little bit. But with the crowd pumped up for the first finals game in a dozen years, And I'm sure they hit all the bars prior to, and everybody's sauced up, and obviously they're going to 
speak their minds, those fans, and you heard it there through the television set last night. Let's call it as we see it. To think that Draymond Green is a dominant Hall of Fame type player, you got to get your eyes checked. And I'm not trying to say that every game has to be that. And we know he's on the back nine of his career, albeit still a little early, but you know he's not on the 16th or 17th hole. But my point is, is that when everybody talks about Draymond, and again, I know what he brings, and yes, he has that energy. He's a guy that you definitely want to have in a foxhole if he's on your team. But for him to be dominant, to be a guy that you have to really pay attention to on the floor at all times, on the offensive end, he's a liability to no end. So I'm just going to leave it there and leave it at that. But we'll see. Game four tomorrow, how it's going to play out. Would I be surprised if the Celtics lose? Absolutely not. I could see them losing this game and having to go back to San Francisco. And would I be surprised if they win a game five? Absolutely not, because we've seen how this team responds after losses in the postseason. Now, that's going to end at some point. So, it's not an automatic. Granted that they're what? I believe 7-0 and off the top of my head after losses. So, let's not make it a foregone conclusion after Celtics lose a game four tomorrow night that, oh, well, they're going to win a game five. <laughs> no, uh-uh-uh, not this guy. Yes, the trend has been where it has and even then some, more than, we, than what we could ever imagine as Celtic fans. But still, I'm not buying but I could still see this being a long series. Can I see the Celtics winning six? Absolutely. Even if they lose Friday night, I could see them winning game five. And then, listen, we saw them lose a game six in their building to have to go back to South Beach to win a game seven. This time around, if they come back to Boston up 3-2, seal the deal. That's it. Don't play any games. Don't have to think about even packing a bag to take that 3,000 mile trip across the country back to the Bay Area. Forget about it. Don't don't even think about it. And I'm not trying to say to be arrogant to the point where, oh, we're not going to plan a trip. And yes, we didn't pack a bag. I know I just mentioned that a second ago, but my point is, is that the mentality should be, "Uh uh-uh, we're not getting on that plane. We are closing this series out tonight by any means necessary. And we could rest all off season whether you're Marcus Smart, obviously Robert Williams, and down the line for the rest of this team. Jason Tatum and his shoulder. You know what I mean. And interestingly enough, next time I'll produce and host the following podcast, it will be on the night of Game 5. So, of course, we'll preview it. We'll rehash what took place in Game 4 as the scene will shift back to San Francisco for Game 5 at that time. All right, now as we take off the sneakers and put on the skates, the Stanley Cup playoffs now down to one series in the Eastern Conference, which I'll get to in a minute. Real quick, the Avalanche, they were able to put away the misery of the Edmonton Oilers as they swept them and now set themselves up for their first Stanley Cup since 2001, which is the year they actually won against the Devils. So long time coming for this franchise. Not only that, but with all the playoff misery over the last few years, not getting out of the second round and having big teams, they were able to slay some of those demons, but now they have to go ahead. And speaking of sealing the deal, they're still going to have to wait another six days, maybe even, believe it or not, another nine days before they do that, and I'll explain later. 
But Colorado, after that game four, to where they were down 3-1 going into the third, they were able to then take the lead when they were down 4-2. They scored three straight goals, led 5-4. Zach Cassian had a tipping goal with about three and a half minutes to go there in the third period. And then as it gets into overtime, just a minute and 19 in. No fooling around. They felt as if there's no way that we could have the Oilers get off the mat to where we're going to have to play a game five in our building, which would have been last night. But Arturi Lekkonen gets the goal, 119 in. The Avalanche can rejoice. They could lift off the piano's heavy worth of playoff struggle and playoff stress over the last few years. And they crown themselves Western Conference champions. So congratulations to the Avalanche as they have punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals. And for the Oilers, you have to give them credit. I understand this was a tough way to go out, especially with the way the series started with that 8-6 game where they were down 7-3. They came roaring back to cut it to within one goal. And then the empty netter by Gabriel Landeskog, which secured Game 1 for the Lanch. And from that point on, Edmonton was unable to come back whether they lost the next game in fact getting shut out for nothing and then in a game three where the avalanche were able to prevail even though they fought tooth and nail but they ended up losing four to two or was it five three i should know that off the top of my head i think i believe it was four two yeah i'm thinking five three i'm getting ahead of myself here four two was the final there game three but edmonton you have to give them credit they were able to get to a conference final for the first time Hopefully this will make this organization and the team a lot more hungrier for next year because you would think that now that they got this far for the first time with Connor McDavid, with Leon Dreisaitl, which was reported that he had a high ankle sprain and was playing with that at some point. I don't know if this happened in the King series or in the Calgary series, but he still played well, had a bunch of assists and certainly did not slow down here in this playoff year that they had, but Give it up to them. I would think that they're going to use this as fuel to get themselves back to this position next year and hopes to get to a cup final and we can see where the chips fall where they may. But now Colorado is going to wait to see what's going to happen starting tonight at Madison Square Garden where the Rangers, they let Tampa off the mat. I talked about it briefly there on Monday after a Game 3 where the Lightning... Got that late goal with 42 seconds left by Andre Palat. Yes, they started putting on the pressure there in that third period. But as I mentioned then, the Rangers had a 2-0 lead going into that third period. Or actually it was 2-1. But they had a chance to put the foot on the Lightning's neck. And pretty much from that third period on, it's been all Lightning. When you have Pat Maroon open up the goal scoring at 238 in the game... The Nikita Kucherov breakaway there in the second period. And then Steven Stamkos, to me, put the exclamation point with the goal early in the third. And yes, the Rangers try to make it interesting with a power play goal of their own, Artemi Panarin. But by that point, the Lightning had the game in the bag as they win 4-1. to And as I mentioned on Monday, that rocking chair type game. And we hadn't seen that in this series. Obviously, they lost the first two games, the Lightning at the Garden there to start off the series, and then they had to fight tooth and nail to win a Game 3. And the one thing that I was worried about if I was a Ranger fan is for the Lightning to have that type of game where they were playing from in front, 
that they pretty much had the game and the tempo in their favor. And what we saw there on Tuesday night was just that, to where tonight's game is going to be intriguing, to say the least. Because now that Tampa has their sea legs, and granted that the Rangers have been near perfect at home in this postseason. But the one thing you have to wonder about if you're a Ranger fan, and to me, which is important, is not about getting out of the gate strong, is not about playing from in front, it's about playing a complete game. Similar to what you saw in Game 2. Because Game 2, they dictated the style of play. I get it, you want to say that Tampa was still feeling the effects of the 9-day layoff from the Panther series to Game 1. If you want to use that as an excuse, if you're Tampa, fine. Go ahead and do that. But they need to play a complete game here. And I think the Rangers obviously can do that. But knowing that Tampa, back in the series knowing that they need to win one game here. And they'd rather win a Game 5 so they can ice it in their building in a Game 6 as opposed to having to come back to the Garden in a Game 7. So to me, as I said with the Celtics, with that series, no fooling around. And I know Panarin in the postgame said that we're going to play angrier, hungrier. To me, that's in one ear and out the other only because you should have played that way in Game 4 knowing that you let Tampa back in the series on Sunday afternoon. Where was that same energy? Granted, it's not in your building. You're on the road. I get that. But you should have had that same sense of urgency then. So now that the series is tied, and not to say your backs are up against the wall, but all the pressure is squarely on the Rangers. 1,000%. Because I got news for you. They lose tonight. Chances are they're not going to make it out of Tampa alive. I can't see that. I know that Tampa, in my gut, they're going to win a game six no matter what happens tonight. Rangers could win 9-1. You know Tampa's going to come out blazing and in a fury to bring this series back to Madison Square Garden. I give the Rangers the slight edge tonight. I'm not going to pay attention to the first few minutes. To me, that's overrated. Because unless the Rangers get out to a 4-0 lead, then we could say, all right, well... In hindsight, yes, getting out to a big lead was huge. But they could have 20 shots on goal, and Andre Vasilevsky could stand on his head, and Tampa could be up one nothing. And yes, you could say, well, the Rangers dominated play, the Lightning had the one lucky bounce, but whether it's one nothing Tampa, or even if Vasilevsky gives up a goal and makes a million saves, and the Rangers only up one nothing, Tampa's going to feel good about themselves, because it could have been 4 or 5 nothing at that point. So that's why the momentum or getting out of the gate fast to predict that or to kind of get a feel going into the game, to me, goes out the window. Yes, every team wants to get off to a good start. Every team wants to come flying out of the locker room and to swarm and swirl around the crease and try to get that first goal or try to go up to nothing or whatever. Of course. But the game's not played that way. As we've seen, whether it's the Celtics in these third quarters or teams getting the first goal and then falling flat on their face or just like the Rangers, they got the 2-0 lead there in Game 3 and we saw what the outcome was at the very end. So I'm not just going to base everything on them getting off to a hot start or the Rangers need to win because of this. They just need to play 60 solid minutes. they do that, they're going to win the game. If they don't, And if Tampa's experience 
and will, grit, toughness, know-how comes to the forefront of this game, the Lightning are going to go back to Tampa with a 3-2 series lead. And then you just hold your breath if you're a Ranger fan at that point. And one last thing before I move on, one thing I failed to mention here with the Colorado Avalanche. We saw it a little bit with Tampa having that nine-day layoff. And I get it. I'm sure Colorado, they're enjoying this right now. And they're probably hoping that the Rangers and Lightning go seven games and it goes into quadruple overtime. But you do have to wonder, even this late into the postseason, whether or not that this is a blessing or a curse for the Avalanche. Because, as I mentioned a little while ago, the Avalanche could possibly wait nine days, maybe up to 11 days before they start the Stanley Cup Final. The reason being is that if the Ranger Lightning Series ends Saturday night, Game 1 will be played that Wednesday. And with the Avalanche winning on Monday, they'll have a nine-day layoff similar to what Tampa experienced, as I mentioned, between the Panther closeout and Game 1 of the Conference Final. If by chance it goes seven games, where Game 7 will be played Tuesday night, not Monday, at the Garden, Game 1 doesn't start until Saturday night. So could you imagine, you may have an 11-day layoff between the last time the Avalanche will play and Game 1 of a Cup Final. It's a little bit more of a curse than a blessing because to have that much time off, and mind you, Colorado swept Nashville in the first round. All right, six tough games against the Blues, albeit they were playing from in front most of the series. They had a 3-1 series lead. Yes, they did lose a game in their building, Game 5, and then they had to win a Game 6 in the literally in the final seconds in St. Louis. And although it was tough from the very start against Edmonton, but they've only played two games over the minimum in this postseason. I mean, yes, rest is great, but how much more rest do you need, especially when you're preparing and getting ready for a Stanley Cup final? And I understand, well, Jay Reels is a Stanley Cup final. If you can't be rested or you can't be up for that, then why play? I understand, but these guys could go to the Amalfi Coast or to the Mediterranean for a few days and come back and still have enough time to get themselves prepared and ready for a Stanley Cup final. That's what I mean. All this time off, I think it's a little bit more of a curse than it is a blessing. Because after the fourth or fifth day, you got to say to yourself, all right, I want to start playing here. It's your body. It's your mindset. It's in rhythm. Because you're pretty much used to playing every other night or if you do have a couple days off in between, it's already set up that way. But with this, forget about it. These guys are going to be off a month before they even play another game. So, that's what I have to say about there. Let me turn my attention to baseball. Because I got a couple other things I got to get to. The golf with this live golf series. And then on top of that, the the Sean Watson saga. Which is just taking turns that I... Again, you can't make it up. So, I have to get to that before I bid adieu. Before I get to Joe Madden. And boy, did we see that coming. And it's interesting because we know Joe Manning got fired and like I'll save that for the next segment. Met fans, start looking over your shoulder. I mean it. Because if you haven't been paying attention, you need to start paying attention now. Because guess who is lurking in the weeds and have now hit their stride 
to the point where, count them, they are six games in the loss behind the Mets. That is the defending champion, Atlanta Braves. They've won seven in a row. They've been flying. Acuna now seems 100% healthy. He hit a couple of bombs the other night against the Athletics. And get this. Here's their schedule over the next 10 games. Four games at home against Pittsburgh. Three in Washington. And then three at Wrigley Field. And I get it. You could come out and say, Jay Reels, why are we worrying about the Braves? We have a seven-game lead in the division. We still have a nice cushion. I get it. The Mets have stubbed their toe here, losing two games badly. They got shut out 7-0, which is their second shutout on this road trip, I might add. And then 13-2 last night, where Chris Bassett is now, just got to wonder whether or not running out of gas, a little bit too strong, but maybe the National League is starting to catch up to him, considering he's been very good overall, but recently has not been good. Just look at his last two starts. But the Braves, with this underbelly of a schedule that they have coming up, and the Mets, they go to Anaheim for three games. Losers of 14 in a row, and I'm going to touch on Joe Mann in a minute, but they got to win sooner or later. This team is not going to lose 17 in a row. I don't care if I'm pitching. So, think about that, Mets fans. You know Anaheim's going to win one game, and would you be shocked if they win two games? Granted, the Mets have a day off today, which is good, and I think they need it. But the Braves, with that underbelly and the Mets coming back to City Field next week, and granted that they're in a little bit of a free fall themselves, that being the Milwaukee Brewers, but they do host the Brewers at the end of this road trip. And the other thing you have to factor in, if you're a Mets fan, and get ready for this. You're not going to see the Braves until July 11th. So, a little bit more than a month, you're going to have to wait to play the Braves. And, oh, by the way, when we see the Braves in Atlanta on July 11th, it's going to be the first of 15, count them, 15 matchups throughout the summer for the National League East. And if you think that you could puff out your chest, or if you think that, oh, we're going to get Scherzer and the Grom back. If you think that, all right, Pete Alonso got hit. Thankfully, no breaks, fractures as x-rays came back clean. Stalling Marte now, I believe, on the IL as they brought up Khalil Lee. There's only but so much that you could be able to muster over the course of a stretch where you have a lot of your key pieces out of the lineup, including your starting pitching. And as we've seen, the starting pitching is starting to falter here, whether you're Taiwan Walker, the aforementioned Chris Bassett, So, we put this all together to bring up the combination of the soft schedule that the Braves have upcoming, the Mets still on the West Coast, albeit against a team that has lost two dozen games or double that, two touchdowns, if you want to put it in sports or football parlance. But now, we have to take heed to what the Braves are doing here. And because of all the matchups that lie ahead, and because of their schedule upcoming, would you be surprised that if I'm back here Monday, or even worse, a week from today, that this lead has been cut in half, where it's now three and a half games, or four, or dare I even say three games? Pay attention, Met fans. This division, which everybody thought was over at ten and a half, 
And no, this is not the Jaden Met fan in me coming out. But think about it. It was 10 and a half. It seemed like five minutes ago. Now it's seven and six and a loss. And oh, by the way, yes, we still have a whole summer of games that we have to play against this brave team. Take notice. As far as the Angels, 14 in a row, could you imagine? And even after they fired Madden, this was Monday after they lost one nothing to the Red Sox. And now you have Phil Nevin, who is the interim or who was a, I believe was a bench coach. I know I don't think he was a third base coach a la the Yankees last year. But he is 0-2 to where the Phillies, and let me make a brief mention about them. Since they fired Joe Girardi, they won six in a row. But we're not going to worry about the Phillies because they're still eight in a loss and nine and a half back. But as much as that's worked out for the Phillies, it has not worked out in the short term for the Angels as they've lost two in a row under Nevin's watch. And now they go into this weekend playing the Mets out in Anaheim. And Madden, obviously he had to go. The team was 24-13 and to start their year. And they were nip and tuck with the Astros in the division, and now you can just pretty much forget it. As I said on Monday, and even now, I'd be shocked if you hear from them, even in a wild card, from now until even August. I'll give you August. But right now, it looks like they're not going to even make it out of the month as far as being part of the AL wild card is concerned. So Madden, even though he's been part of that organization for so many years, going back to the 70s, and I understand he left to manage Tampa and the Chicago Cubs. We get that. But we know that his ties with the Angels run deep and they go way back, but something had to be done. And losing 12 straight after that start, he's the guy that's going to not only walk the plank, but fall off of it. So let's see what the Angels do here as they try to save some face. Hopefully they wait till after this weekend. But again, they're going to have to win at some point, And we shall wait and see how this all unfolds here as the weekend is forthcoming. And one quick thing, I know I didn't mention this the other day, and not that I was not trying to give them their just due, but the Yankees, who have gotten off to the fastest start since the 2001 Mariners, and I don't know if the Yankee fan or, I know the Yankee players don't care, but the fan, they don't want to be associated with that 2001 Mariner team. If you recall, that was Ichiro's rookie year, was not only your rookie of the year, but also your MVP. 116 and 46, and we know what happened with them in the postseason. Lost in five to the aforementioned Yankees. So, with their hot start, 40 and 16, we know how great their pitching has been. And even though last night they lost 8 1 to the Twins, I would think that they're going to rebound and win tonight before they come back home to play the Cubs this weekend, which, for nostalgic purposes, not that the Yankees and Cubs, if you want to go back to the 20s, so you got to go back 100 years, but. When you have those two franchises meet, it's always going to be special. Granted that it's the new iteration of Yankee Stadium, not the old one across the street, but you have that to look forward to if you're a pinstripe fan. But the Yankees, hottest start since that Mariner team, which I believe they were 43-13 and 13 off the top of my head, or maybe it was 43-12. and 12. So if you want to hang your hat on that, please do so. I'll have more baseball, obviously, to come on Mondays. We take a complete look at the lay of the land at that point. All right, now let me go ahead and get the clubs out of the bag to get into some golf here before I touch on the Sean Watson. We knew that for quite some time this league was going to take place, this Live Golf League, Saudi Arabia. These guys have money to burn and are really no competition for the PGA, but 
we know that PJ is going to stand tall, and I'll get into that in a second. But this all started with Greg Norman going months back. The Saudi league that wants to bring in players from the PGA Tour to play not only overseas, some courses here in the United States, to where they're pretty much ponying up nine-figure checks. Now, I don't know if that's right off the bat. That's over the course of three or four years. That hasn't been determined. But when you have Phil Mickelson, as we know, he's jumped ship to where he hasn't expressed whether or not he's given up the tour altogether as far as his membership goes. We know Dustin Johnson has done so. Although he can play in the major tournaments because he's exempt, obviously winning the Masters going back to November of 2020. So he can play in the U.S. Open, which is a week from today. The Open, which was formerly the British, which is next month, he could play there. Same for Phil and other players who have now are making that transition, whether your name is Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed. And the first start is how many other golfers are going to follow suit of what we've seen here over the last few days. There's word about Ricky Fowler doing the same. Who knows what other players on the circuit are also going to cross over and make Bitcoin with this Live Golf League. I know that quite a few players on the tour have balked at this, whether your name is Tiger Woods, and obviously he doesn't need the money. And so do a lot of these golfers. And I get it. They're trying to attract the top names to start up this league. But here's where the problem lies in all this. Especially if you're a big golf fan. And not that I'm a huge golf fan to say the least. Of course I follow the sport. But I follow the majors. So I just need to put that out there. I'm not following the Valero Open. Or the LA Open. I'm not following these small tournaments. But here's the one thing I do know. I get that the money is enticing. I get that for a guy who has not won a major. For a guy who can make that big payday. And could be a part of this league. That has zero history. And the best way that I can compare it to is the NFL to the USFL. That's all you need to know. You're not playing on courses that have that panache, that have that history, that have that when you walk in to the course that you could just look around and say, oh my God, this is golf. It's not Augusta. It's not Bethpage, it's not Torrey Pines, it's not Pebble Beach, it's none of that. So when you're a golfer and you're going to take that big check, think about that before you do so. And I get it that people are going to say, Jay Reels, who cares about the history? Jay Reels, so what? He could do whatever he wants. He wants to get his big payday to set up his family for life. I'm not knocking that. If that's what you want to do, God bless you. But that's like me. Being a podcast host, or let's say I was a radio talk show host here in New York City. And it just so happens that somewhere else, whether in the country or let's say for argument's sake, there's a Saudi sports talk show that wants me to go over there. And yes, they're going to fork over a million dollar check for me to be part to talk whatever it is that's happening over there. It could be cricket, soccer, etc. And yes, that carrot that's being dangled in front of my face does look good. But am I going to do that? Knowing that I'm in New York and let's say I'm making six figures doing that 
but to go overseas for a million dollars or let's say $10 million, whatever it may be, just whatever the blank check is. And for me to go over there just for the almighty dollar, there has to be some integrity, some alignment with yourself to know that. And it's not as if these golfers are crying broke. Let's start there. But that's like me taking that leap to say, hey, guys, I'm going to start doing my podcast overseas, but I'm not going to talk NFL. I'm not going to talk baseball. I have to talk mostly the Live Golf League, probably some soccer, maybe cricket, and that's it. You're going to have to get your opinions on the Mets if they win a World Series somewhere else. All because I went for a $5 million paycheck or whatever number you want to put in there. Now think about that. That's how I look at it. And listen, you're free to do whatever you want. If that's what the golfer wants to do, fine. But, I don't know, to me it's more than just the money. And again, it's not as if these golfers are crying broke. Or it's the 100th player on the tour. The guys that are going over are the Sergio Garcias of the world, the Charles Swartzels, the all the aforementioned guys. Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, I mean, Phil Mickelson, the guy's made a boatload of money throughout his career. And granted, he's had these gambling issues that he's trying to get some help for. Okay, fine, but still. You mean to tell me that Phil Mickelson is starting to eat ramen now? Because of what's gone on in his life over the last whatever, X amount of months, years, etc.? Please. And then you're going to go to a league that has zero history at all, and you're going to play on courses that you've never seen and never even heard of and yes I get it that you could come back and play some of these majors depending on who you are because if you're going to be exempt whether you're Phil DJ DeChambeau etc alright you're in good stead but some of these other guys can't come back and especially if you give up your tour membership so for Dustin Johnson he cannot play in a Ryder Cup the TPC, some other events by the tour, Uh uh-uh. He's giving that up for the immediate future and and beyond. So this league where they're trying to pull all the top talent and give them, obviously, an enormous amount of money, how is this going to play out as far as people watching or following these golfers? On top of what impact this may have with the tour, because think about this. The U.S. Open is a week from today, which Tiger is going to skip. Let me throw that in there. He's going to play St. Andrews at the Open next month, but he feels as if he needs more time to heal. Obviously, his body went through a lot as we saw him hobbling on the course there for the PGA. So you won't see him next week in Brookline for the U.S. Open, and that's Massachusetts. But what is that going to mean when Dustin Johnson tees off with one of his other fellow brethren and the story is going to be all about Johnson Mickelson the Live Golf League are their minds really in it and Dustin Johnson has not played well here pretty much since he won the Masters all you got to do is look it up this guy's missed plenty of cuts in these major tournaments since then so when we look at this thing on a whole there are so many levels to unpack with this that who knows how this is going to play out from the league itself, from these players slowly but surely jumping ship, the impact that's going to have with the 
other players on the tour, I know they're not going to care, but is there going to be a lot of side-eye or a lot of eye-rolls when it comes to these guys playing in the major tournaments when they pretty much have a fat bank account because they said, the hell with the PGA, I'm going to go to this Live Golf League? Listen, I could go more into this. Maybe I'll save it for Monday because obviously... I got one last thing, and it's going to take me some time to really get into. And you know what? Let me segue right into it because time is ticking. I know the Belmont is Saturday. If you're into that, Rich Strike, who may race. I haven't really followed it that much, people, because once he pulled out of the Preakness, to me, that just destroyed whatever Triple Crown or whatever you had left of this racing season because we all know it's between the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont Stakes. But the Belmont is Saturday. And my thing is, if Rich Strike is going to race, which the owners of the horse said that he would after the Derby, then all we have to do is see where he finishes to see whether or not that this was a type of horse that, although him being 8 of the 1, was possibly a horse that was underestimated, or is he going to show his true colors in this race come Saturday? So we'll have to see. I haven't done any research on that, so if he's not going to race, my apologies ahead of time, but based on what was said a few weeks back, that was going to be the case with Rich Strike performing. As far as Deshaun Watson and this gigantic mess, I don't even know what to think anymore. I'm just going to get to the nuts and bolts of this. Maybe I'll touch more on this on Monday because I want to keep this Right at an hour, a little bit above. If not, I'll go way past that. So I'll shut up and continue. A New York Times report earlier this week has a 17-month period to where Deshaun Watson was involved with 65 women who had massaged him during that time period. And mind you, over the past two weeks, a 23rd and 24th woman has come out to share her story as to what's going on in another civil case which I'm sure is going to be looming. But for that, as well as the other women, and with these 65 women, there were some that admitted consensual sex with Watson. There were some that were even supportive of Watson. And then there was also some that were obviously traumatized by it to the point where one of the women, I believe, whether it was the 23rd or the 24th woman that came out, had to stop practicing massage therapy altogether. But here are the other twists that go along with this. The Houston Texans are complicit in all this because they even mentioned that they had rented hotel rooms for Watson to get massage therapy. So the first thing I think of is, wait a second, I'm sure you have strength and conditioning staff and personnel on the team as well as a team masseuse to where all that could be done, whether at the stadium or at the practice facility. So what are you doing renting hotel rooms for your star quarterback? And I get it that he is your quarterback, franchise player, and you want to give him all the perks possible. But to the extent where, okay, we'll get a hotel suite or a room at the Houstonian, I guess it's a popular hotel in Houston, To where you're going to foot the bill for a guy who's had all these cases. Now, mind you, were they aware of it? 
At the time, I'm sure they weren't. But why are they doing this off of the practice facility or the stadium is beyond me. I'm sure they have personnel that could do that. So what trickery did Watson tell the organization to say, hey, I need to have this done outside of the team headquarters or the stadium, etc.? That doesn't make any sense. How could the Texans, or any team for that matter, be responsible for setting up massage therapy outside of the workplace? I don't care if he had an ACL blown out. I don't care if he tried to deadlift 2,000 pounds. If that's the case, you want a masseuse? All right, 9 a.m., practice facility, be there, or forget about it. So that's number one. How the, I, I just couldn't believe when I read that about the Texans. But then the thing that has me irked beyond belief is what in the hell is Roger Goodell in the NFL waiting for? And weeks ago, they came out and said, well, our investigation is just about complete. They didn't say anything about a verdict as far as a suspension or what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson as far as violating the misconduct or the conduct codes when it comes to what the league has put out many years ago, dating back to Ben Roethlisberger and his situation where he had six games and it was reduced to four. If you remember, this was back in 2010. But for the NFL, who, let's face it, the Shield, Bulletproof, etc. And I understand they are not the FBI, the CIA, or the local police department where they have to look under every rock, stone, sewer cap to find out all this information, to really have a clear-cut decision on how long Watson should be out. But how much more time do they need in order to realize that, no, this has to be nipped in the bud and put to sleep to where we can move on from this? So whether that means they give him a year right now, eight games, 12 games, put it out there. Between the Real Sports HBO segment where they had the two girls there interviewed, Now this New York Times report, oh, we're still researching and investigating. Uh Uh-uh, put a stop to this. Only the NFL does this. They are a PR disaster. And think about this. Major League Baseball with the whole Trevor Bauer thing, and mind you, he wasn't criminally charged. But what did they do? They handed down a two-year suspension. And I even talked about it at that point where Roger Goodell may have to talk to Rob Manfred to say, hey, what do you think I should do with this Deshaun Watson case? Maybe Manfred could advise him to say, why are you half-stepping? So, between the Houston Texans being involved, more women that were involved, 65 now total, and who knows if there's more out there, there may be, and if the New York Times can uncover this, why can't the NFL? It's just a disgrace no matter how you slice it, and the more I even think about it, If they do not give him minimum one year, then why even bother? Why give him eight games? Why give him 12? If you're going to give him 12, give him 17. If you're going to give him eight, what's the point? That's half a season. He can still play nine games. And you know he's going to appeal. I'll talk about this more on Monday. I mean, that's just the nuts and bolts about it. And then the Browns, can I even get to them? 
not making a comment about any of this. And they said, oh, we did a thorough investigation, blah, blah, blah. They didn't even talk to any of the women that were involved with this. And we all know it's about winning games. It's not about morality. Ugh, the whole thing is sorted. I hate to end on that, no people. And I get it, Aaron Donald, he got his money as well as Cooper Cup. How are they doing this, the Rams? I mean, their capologist is working wonders here. I'll touch more on that on Monday, but I thank you, each and every one of you, for sticking with me, not only just throughout this podcast, but whether you've just recently tuned in to me or have been around for a while or obviously go way back. Your participation is not taken for granted. I understand you could get, and you probably do get your source of sports from other people. I'm sure a lot more popular, a lot more known than I am, but just to know that you're here means the world. Thank you so much. It is not taken for granted. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with those who aren't familiar with it. As I continue to chug along here in the podcast universe, pumping out two episodes a week. Obviously, I want to expand and do a few other things. I got to bring on guests. That's very important to this endeavor. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could do so at the following TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, as well as the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, hit me up. I'll follow up with you guys and gals. And of course, finally, on my Patreon page, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to the production of this podcast, the website, the upkeep, the equipment that I come crystal clear. If I'm not doing so already, I, I know I am, but just to enhance it that much more for your listening experience, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. I love sports with every fiber of my being to discuss it, dissect it, analyze thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.